0: Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast. This is episode number 31, What Do You Do With An Idea? My name is Jessie Ellertsen, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do, and you're doing it, all while holding down the fort at home, but you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. We're going to start with the battle buddy moment from elow one 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 five ones, in case you were wondering. And she says, or I'm assuming it's a she, I don't know why, but this person says... <laughs> Great podcast! I have really been enjoying listening to this podcast. I'm not a military wife, but I feel like these thought patterns are applicable to anyone. I can't wait for more episodes. Thank you so much for that review, you guys, and keep them coming, please. Okay, we're going to get right into our episode today. I am reading you the third book in the What You Do Matters series today called What Do You Do With An Idea? And I'm going to go ahead and just start with that, and then we'll get into it. What Do You Do With An Idea? Written by Kobe Yamada, illustrated by Mae Bessem. One day I had an idea. Where did it come from? Why is it here, I wondered. What do you do with an idea? At first I didn't think much of it. It seemed kind of strange and fragile. I didn't know what to do with it, so I just walked away from it. I acted like it didn't belong to me. But it followed me. I worried what others would think. What would people say about my idea? I kept it to myself. I hid it away and didn't talk about it. I tried to act like everything was the same as it was before my idea showed up. But there was something magical about my idea. I had to admit I felt better and happier when it was around. It wanted food. It wanted to play. Actually, it wanted a lot of attention. It grew bigger and we became friends. I showed it to other people even though I was afraid of what they would say. I was afraid that if people saw it, they would laugh at it. I was afraid they would think it was silly. And many of them did. They said it was no good. They said it was too weird. They said it was a waste of time and that it would never become anything. And at first, I believed them. I actually thought about giving up on my idea. I almost listened to them. But then I realized, what do they really know? This is my idea, I thought. No one knows it like I do. And it's okay if it's different and weird and maybe a little crazy. I decided to protect it, to care for it. I fed it good food, I worked with it, I played with it, but most of all I gave it my attention. My idea grew and grew and so did my love for it. I built it a new house, one with an open roof where it could look up at the stars, a place where it could be safe to dream. I liked being with my idea. It made me feel more alive, like I could do anything. It encouraged me to think big and then to think bigger. It shared its secrets with me. It showed me how to walk on my hands because it said it is good to have the ability to see things differently. I couldn't imagine my life without it. Then one day, something amazing happened. My idea changed right before my very eyes. It spread its wings, took flight, and burst into the sky. I don't know how to describe it, but it went from being here to being everywhere. It wasn't just a part of me anymore, it was now a part of everything. And then I realized what you do with an idea you change the world the end. Oh, that's another fantastic one. And it really goes right along with the first two we read, but especially what do you do with the chance? Because this book goes on from talking about being willing to try things and willing to fail to being willing to think about things in a new way, being willing to dream, being willing to have ideas, being willing to try on new thoughts, being willing to believe new beliefs. So we're going to kind of just go through some of the concepts that they talked about in the book and I love when he talks about in the beginning that his idea he notices seems kind of small and fragile. And in the book, if you've ever read this book or if you go check it out, you'll see that the idea is represented by an egg wearing a crown and it has two little feet. It's pretty cute. Anyway, eggs are fragile, right? And that's a little bit like when we have new ideas or new things that we've decided we want to believe. They feel fragile in the beginning. We haven't spent much time on them. We're not quite ready for other people to see them, think about them, know about them. And partly because we're afraid of what other people will think and that they won't get it. And our ideas, they want attention. I like that they use that word in the book, that it wanted a lot of attention. And then near the end of the book, he says, mostly I gave it a lot of attention. Because to me, that is saying that we're spending time and brain power on this idea. And when we do that, when we give our ideas attention, they get bigger. And we know from past podcast episodes that the way that we believe new things is by spending time thinking about them by choosing to continue to think about them, by thinking them intentionally and on purpose. And so when we give our ideas attention and spend time thinking about them, we create these new beliefs about our idea, about our ability to create this idea, about our ability to have good ideas, new ideas, and that it's all totally available to us. So I love in the book how he becomes friends with his idea, and he actually puts the egg in a backpack, and he's walking around with it, and he says he feels better when he's around his idea. And he starts to develop his relationship with the idea. Meaning if you spend time thinking really positively about a new idea or a new thought or a new belief that you want to have, you're going to really foster that positive relationship with this idea. But if you spend time thinking, I should stop thinking about this idea, this is a dumb idea, this isn't worth my time, this isn't worth thinking about, then that's the kind of relationship you'll have with this idea. Now going back to being afraid of what people might do or think when we get to the point where we're willing to let our idea be known, or, our new belief be known. That seems very terrifying to us. The idea that other people might think poorly of us or poorly of the idea that we've begun, that we've grown to love and care about and have that relationship with. And the reason that feels so terrifying is because if they think or do something negative about us or our idea, that's not actually the part that feels terrible. The part that feels terrible is when we think a thought that makes what they've done mean something about us. So, for example, if you let someone know that you've decided to learn a new skill, people in our life might have lots of thoughts and opinions about this decision that we're making to maybe learn a new language or whatever the skill may be. And so we're afraid to tell people because we think, what if they judge us? What if they say we shouldn't do it? What if they think we can't do it? And then we decide to let them know anyway, for the most part. And what's interesting is often they do those things that we were worried about. But again, that's not the painful part. Them thinking or saying those things about us is not the painful part. It's if we start to think, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe if I were smarter or younger or stronger, then it wouldn't be a dumb idea. But it's a dumb idea for me, which makes it mean something about me. What I'd like to offer to you guys is that it's okay. It's okay that they don't understand your new idea or your new belief. They don't share your belief. They haven't had the experiences that you've had with this new idea. They haven't built that relationship. I love in the book when he says, then I remembered. wait, this is my idea. You know, no one knows it like I do because he spent time with this idea and created that experience. And the people in our lives, they don't have that. They don't have that vision yet of this new idea. And so it's okay for them to think that it's a dumb idea, that it's weird. <laughs> I like all the words they use in the book. And it's okay that maybe they think we shouldn't do it. And they get to even say that and we can still just do it. We don't have to, stop them from saying that or manage their experience around it. And our brain resists new things, which is what these people in our life are doing. This is a brand new idea to them. It's not new to us anymore. We've spent time with it. It's familiar to us, but it's new to them. So you remember at the beginning of the book, he resisted the new idea at first, but then it became more familiar to him because he gave it that attention. And now he's presented it to the people around him and they're not approving of it because it's now a new idea to them. And our brain just naturally resists new things. It wants to stick with what what's efficient and familiar and comfortable. So in the book, there's a page that talks about that he even was thinking about giving up on the idea. Maybe they're right. He's worried. And he starts to walk away from the egg in the book. And that's a really fascinating part because we do this. Even if we've had totally positive, confirming experiences about this new idea we've had, even if we feel better when we're around it, even if we have lots of belief in it, our brain places a super high priority on what other people think about us. And we just need to notice that. We just, it's very Helpful to just notice how important our brain thinks that is, and then rationally remind our brain that it's not dangerous if people don't think this is a good idea. And it doesn't mean if people don't think it's a good, a good idea, it doesn't mean that I have to do something about that. Fortunately, he doesn't give up on the idea, and instead, he nurtures it. He spends time thinking about it. He feeds it. He plays with it, and he gives it a lot of attention. I love on the next page when he talks about thinking big and then thinking bigger. And one reason we enjoy being around our new ideas having new ideas is because of what we get to feel when we're thinking big and then thinking bigger and seeing things differently. If we're willing to get outside the box, get outside of the normal way we think and have new ideas, while it can feel a little scary at times and we might resist it, it actually feels pretty amazing and exciting. And I want to encourage you guys, if you have ideas like this playing around in your brain, but it hasn't felt like the right time or you know reasonable to cultivate those ideas and try to turn them into something. I want you to just start to think about how how and why it's safe to dream big dreams, even, you know, ones that you're sure you'll never accomplish small dreams, big dreams, just to start to see those things differently and to stretch your brain to say it's whether I create this or not. I love how it feels when I think big and when I dream. And the reason it's safe to dream is because if anything becomes important enough to you, if any idea grows big enough that it now is very important to you, it will always be in your power to create it. And so when we're worried that it's not safe to dream about something that maybe it's too painful or too delusional or too unreasonable, it's because we're in our lower brain and our lower brain says this is out of our control and it wants us to stop having those big dreams. And so it really focuses on all the parts of our dream that seem impossible to have or that seem up to somebody else to create. But when you dream from this space that I'm encouraging you to to find where it's safe to dream because of how you get to feel when you're dreaming, you're in that space of creation, of you creating it. And then you're focused on all the parts that are in your control and on how you, even if you don't know how you would do it, that you would figure out a way to create it. It's a really fascinating place to spend some time. So his idea goes out into the world. It started one minute, it was right there with him still, and the next minute it was everywhere. And at the end, he says, now I know what you do with an idea. You change the world. I just love that because I spend time thinking about why I'm excited to do these things that I'm working on that are often uncomfortable and that take up some of my time and why I enjoy spending time on them. And it can be really powerful to think about your why. And so you spend time thinking, okay, here's something I want to do. Now why? Why do I want to do it? Is my why strong enough to give my time and my attention to it, to spend time thinking about it, to grow it? And once you realize some of our ideas are big and can change the world, and some of our ideas are smaller and will just change our world or maybe our family's world. But once you realize your why and you get really clear on it and and it means enough to you, that's really when you unlock that possibility to create anything. And so I love in this book when he talks about changing the world, and he talks about his idea going out into the world, and it used to be his, and now it's everybody's. Because I think the reason that we dream and have ideas is so that we can create value in the world. I think that our contribution in the world based on who we are as human beings, on how we can affect the people around us, is so phenomenal and our ability to create value using our strengths and our super smart brains is infinite and when we all spend time creating value for the other human beings in the world we are living our best life whether again that's you creating value in your own life in your family's life or on a bigger level and so when your why is to create value and to help people that is an awesome and motivating place to come from. I love what I do as a life coach. I love being able to reach people on the level that I do and have the tools to do it from a place of confidence. I love spending time thinking, I'm a professional and I help people and I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm the best coach for them and One of my mentors, Stacey Bayman, she says, all you need to do as a life coach is say, I'm a life coach and I can help. And I love thinking that sentence in my mind of my name is Jesse Ellertson and I'm a life coach and I can help. And the other night I was working with a client who was going through some pretty hard stuff and she had touched on a topic in a few of our sessions, but hadn't really wanted to go into it yet. And so I brought it back around and I said, you know, this has come up a few times. Are, are you ready to go into this? And basically we were doing the process of rewriting a story from our past to intentionally create the way we want to feel about that story. And it's something that I haven't ever done yet with a client. I've learned about it in life coach school. I really understand the idea of it. And I haven't had it done to me by another coach and I haven't done it to myself and myself coaching. But I was able to feel incredibly confident in this skill and basically based on the fact that I knew that if we did it I could help her and when I was completely focused on what it would do for her and I wasn't at all worried on how I would be able to do it because I couldn't rely on having done it before, having that experience of doing it before that it is a very comfortable way to have confidence in your abilities. But I was able to put all my focus in if this client is willing to do this tool with me, I know it will help her. And I'm so excited to help her with this because it's created so much pain for her. And she was willing to do it. And I remember about halfway through that session, and we were really making some great progress, and she was really resonating with what we were talking about, and I could tell it was really helping her. I had this little thought come into my head, and I watched it kind of float by, and it said, you have no business knowing this well how to do this tool without ha- with never having done it before. And I thought that was so interesting. I, I sort of Analyzed that thought a little bit after the session, I kind of just let it float on by during the session, because I was focused on my client. But afterward, I thought about that sentence. And I thought that is so interesting that my brain just it, it had the evidence right in front of it of, of how well I was able to use that tool coming from that place of Contribution and creating value for this client and in being in full service of her, but it still was in disbelief. It was saying, you know, we've never done this before. How can we be good at this? Where did you find the confidence to do this? You know, and I was saying, my confidence comes from my why and it comes from knowing that the model and these tools are changing lives, they're helping people, and that I am a life coach and that I can help. And that's it. I don't need that previous experience all the time. It's nice having previous experience. I enjoy relying on that versus the way this one went, but it was. An extremely powerful lesson to me that when you're clear on your why you really can create anything. Another reason that I do what I do as far as creating this podcast, life coaching, um, going after some of my goals like weight loss goals and revenue goals and you know building a business and having little kids and all the things I do is to be an example of what is possible with thought work and mind management. That's another place that I'm really clear on on my why and on how knowing that, really motivates me to develop these ideas and the different ideas that I have and want to just run with. And when I can show other military wives what making my mental health a priority looks like in my life, then I know that it's just helps them get that much closer to knowing that they could do it too. Because it has been a game changer for me, you guys. Seriously, making my mental health a priority has freed me up in ways I didn't even know were possible. I I always felt like I had pretty good mental health, And there were a few years that I had a lot of hard things happen in a row. And it sort of took my mental health down a hit and another hit and another hit. And I remember as things quieted down and I didn't have any challenges for a while, I just was sort of found this new normal in my mental health. And I thought, after having been through what I've been through this is probably about right. The way I'm feeling right now is probably pretty normal and just who I am now. And I started to just accept it. I just thought this is who I've changed and become after the experiences I've been through. And I didn't even know that I could find so much joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment and creation in my life again through thought work. I was just ready to say this is who I am now. And it wasn't until I right before my husband's last deployment when I found ThoughtWork and my coach, Jody Moore, and I signed up with her and started working with her and getting coached regularly, that my thoughts started to change and I started to up-level the way that my brain worked and I started to get glimpses of what it felt like to be all those things again, happy and fulfilled and full of joy and again, willing to feel fear and nervous and those things. So it was really the whole the whole spectrum rather than say, staying in that safe kind of middle ground stuck place that I thought this is just who I am now, this is where I live. And it was so fascinating to find it right before my husband's last deployment because I've told you this before, I know, but I had a lot of resistance to it because I thought, oh man, I don't start new things right before a deployment. I'm focused on the deployment. I'm focused on how we'll get through the deployment. I'm focused on being a solo parent for a year. I'm focused on this like I don't have any room in my life for something new, something extra. And thankfully It was exciting enough the way the glimpses of the things I had felt just kind of tapping into it a little bit. It was exciting enough that I pushed through that resistance. And I said, you know, this may not feel like the right time, but for some reason it is. And here we go. And I went for it and I went all in on it. And the experience that I had during that deployment was like night and day different from the deployment that we had had a few years previously where we had put our heads down and focus on the deployment and gone into survival mode and it felt very necessary at the time it felt just like this is what we do when he's deployed and on his most recent one where i had a coach and i had all these tools available to me i didn't lose a year I didn't feel limited. I felt my capacity increase more than I, again, even than I knew was possible, even than I knew I needed. I really felt like I had enough capacity to handle what we had, but I handled what we had to do. And I brought more on my plate and I had room to spare. I just had plenty of time, plenty of room in my heart, plenty of room in my brain to handle it all. And it was exhilarating. And it was near the end of his deployment when I realized like, I want to help other military wives have this experience. I want them to know that they don't need to lose a year they can create a year while their spouse is away they don't need to be at the limit of their capacity when he's away and they're solo parenting they can have enough capacity and more to spare they can have capacity to spare i know capacity isn't measurable but you know what that feels like you know what it feels like when you are hitting the edge of your capacity over and over and over and how exhausting that is And to me, that's just that staying in survival mode longer than is helpful. There is very necessary survival mode, but I think when we go for these long deployments or frequent trainings that we find ourselves going into survival mode necessarily and then staying there beyond when it's necessary. And that's when we really suffer. Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure sharing these three books with you and just my thoughts on it all. I would love to hear from you, any feedback you have or any any thoughts about what we talked about in these last few episodes and I'm just going to end this episode with um, a mission for the episode which is to give your ideas attention. Really think about that word, attention. Think about the ideas that you have not been giving attention to and also think about the ideas that you have been giving attention to that maybe you don't want to. So again, attention just means take a look at what you're spending time thinking about and you have ideas in your mind that are productive ideas that serve you and you have ideas in your mind that are unproductive ideas that do not serve you and which of those ideas are getting your attention attention. So I want you to take an idea that is exciting to you, but maybe feels a little scary, like you're not quite ready for anybody to know. I want you to find one of those ideas and intentionally start to give it your attention and just see what happens. I think that you will be absolutely pleasantly surprised. Okay, our hot mess moment for this episode is a funny experience that I had uh, in our last house in Riverton. So this was probably six or seven years ago. We were relatively new to the area, but I had made some friends and I was at church one Sunday. Sunday and I decided it was it was winter and so it was a little bit hard to get outside and I just had little kids and I had made a few friends who also had little kids and I decided I wanted to once a week have um, some friends over so that the kids could play and I thought it'd be fun if the, the moms and whatever kids wanted to join in would play Just Dance on the Wii and we would also you know visit and maybe everyone brings a snack to share or something just kind of a play date but I thought as sort of a form of exercise in the cold of winter when it's hard to get outside that we would do Just Dance, because then we could get some cardio and have fun, and the kids could join in, and it would just be really relaxed and fun. So I invited, I think I invited about three people, and I talked to the first two, and they were like, that sounds great, we'll be there, you know, Wednesday at 10 or something. And I talked to the third girl, her name was Amelia, and she and I are still great friends to this day, and I should ask her if she remembers this, but I I went up to her and basically said that what I, you know, what I just explained to you, and I said, yeah, so we're going to just dance, or I said, we're going to do... I thought we would do Just Dance. And she was like, oh, okay, okay, you know, kind of a little hesitantly. And I thought, oh, well, maybe she doesn't like to dance or maybe she doesn't like the we or, you know, maybe she has something else in mind. And that's fine. But so she said yes. So I said, great, you know, I'll text you. And so on Wednesday morning, I texted everybody. I said, you know, I'm excited, looking forward to seeing you, you know, come on over. See you soon. And she let me know she was going to be a little late. Amelia did. And we um, had gotten started before she got there. So the other two ladies were there. The kids were playing. And we had Just Dance going and the just fun music. And we were dancing and having fun and she walked in and she just started laughing and we said what's going on you know and she said oh that is so hilarious because she didn't know there was a game for the Wii called just dance and so the way she heard my invitation was you're going to come over to my house and we're going to just dance like we're not going to talk we're not going to um you know, visit or play with the kids. We're going to just dance. Like that's all that's allowed at this play date. And she just thought it sounded so crazy. But, you know, I had told her other people were coming. So she was like, it must be, it must be what people do. Or, you know, she just was a little bit confused about my intense invitation. (laughs) And she had no idea that there was a game called Just Dance. And so as soon as she walked in and saw what was happening, she put it all together very quickly and explained it to us. And we all had a really good laugh about that. And I still just love her bravery for coming over even though she believed that we were going to have a very strict session of just dancing and nothing else And she still came and I just love it. So I would tease her about that for a little while, but I I haven't talked about that in a long time. So Amelia, if you're listening, text me if you remember that funny moment, I'm sure you do. Okay. That's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends. I also love when you subscribe, rate and review it. If this podcast resonates with you and you are interested in learning more, please send an email to jessie at simplyresilient.net to schedule your free life coaching mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember, when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over now.